Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Bale Dance Festival returns to the stage July 29th through August 9th. Conversations on Dance returns for a fifth year to bring audiences behind the curtain and closer to the festival artists they love. Our live podcast recordings have just been announced and will be running from July 30th through August 9th, totaling 10 events. Guests include Justin Peck, Sarah Mearns, Pam Tanowitz, Caroline Shaw, Lauren Lovett, and many others. I will be on maternity leave this summer. These live events will be hosted by Michael with special guest hosts throughout the festival. Tickets for these live events go on sale on May 20th and can be purchased at veildance.org slash conversations dash on dash dance, or click the link in the description of this episode. Be sure to subscribe to Conversations on Dance wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of the content coming from the Vail Dance Festival. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today on Conversations on Dance, we are joined by choreographer Trey McIntyre. Trey first made his mark as a choreographer in the role of choreographic apprentice at Houston Ballet, a position created for him by then-director Ben Stevenson. He has since created dozens of works on internationally renowned companies, as well as founded his own company, The Trey McIntyre Project, and received critical and public attention for his work as a photographer. We talked to Trey about his early years at Houston Ballet, what it's been like to return to choreograph for the company throughout the years, and his new work, Pretty Things, set to the music of David Bowie, which will be performed in Houston from May 20th to May 29th. Get your tickets at HoustonBallet.org. Trey, welcome back to the podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you back on and with a subject matter that we nearly touched upon almost two years ago, which mm-hmm. we'll get into, which is your new ballet that's premiering this month at Houston Ballet. But um, before we get to that, we wanted to, you have a long history with Houston Ballet. So we kind of wanted to go back to the beginning. Um, it's sure. launched your choreographic career. Um, so tell us a little bit about how that started. 
Yeah, the, when I first came to the summer session in Houston, um, at that time they had a choreographic workshop where I think it was se seven students would choreograph three ballets on the rest of the, the students. And it was so great. It was just, you know, having those immersive of summers. Um, and you know, from those, Ben Stevenson, who was the director at the time, took notice of the work that I was doing and immediately began giving me great opportunities. So, you know, at this point, I'm like 17. Um, and very, you know, very quickly, even doing, you know, workshop pieces and things with company dancers. And I was just like a, a kid. Um, so there was this really great dramatic moment at the, you know, at the valedictory performance at the end of my second year uh, here in the, in the school. And they give out like the student of the year award and stuff like that. It's called the Michael Wasmond award. Um, mm -hmm. And I got presented the Michael Wasmond award my, my second year. And then, then it was like this big dramatic, like soap opera moment. Um, ben announced <laughs> then that, he was creating a position in the company of choreographic apprentice. Um, and it was, and so I would, I would have that job as basically to be developing as a, a choreographer while being uh, a dancer in the company. So, wow. you know, that really kind of, it was just, it was a very remarkable once in a lifetime kind of opportunity to get to work with some of the great people in the dance world. Some of them in the last years of their life, you know, I got to work with Kenneth McMillan and Margot Fontaine and wow. Mary Killian came and like, you know, just, wow. you know, you know not, not to mention, but, you know, working with Ben and with Christopher Bruce, who was resident choreographer and mm -hmm. just, you know, all these incredible people that I really, it was, it was really my, my, my college. So, you know, that kind of evolved over time into, you know, when I, when I left as a dancer um, in what would it have been 95, um, you know, I, I stopped, stopped pretty young to focus on choreography and I became mm -hmm. choreographic associate with the company. Um, and that, that went on for, for many, many years. And then I've just kind of checked back in every few years, um, and have really got, gosh, I've just seen so much of the progress of the company and how much it's changed over time. Yeah, I bet. So this is a full circle moment for us, you know, right before everything shut down for the pandemic, we were talking to you about this ballet. It was about to have its world premiere. It was on the stage. And of course, we'll we'll circle back to how this work has kind of progressed and changed during that time. But I also we want to catch up with you a little bit on what you've been up to um, during the pandemic, because obviously things shut down. There was no ballet happening. You weren't able to create. You decided to kind of focus on some other things. And now I've seen on Instagram, you're back up and choreographing all over the place again, it looks like. So tell us kind of what your trajectory has been like um, over these past couple of years. Yeah, the the Wortham Theater actually shut down on opening night for when Pretty Things was meant to premiere uh, originally. Mm -hmm. So I mean, you just I mean, we were right up to the right up to the edge and was ready. Yeah, and so you know that was right around the time you know you, you remember in the beginning New York was really the hot spot of, mm -hmm. of of what was going on with COVID. So I didn't want to return back home at that moment. I thought you know because none of us knew what was what was happening or what was going to happen next. And so I thought, well, what could be safer than just staying in Texas? <laughs> so uh, so I just hunkered down and um, you know just got an apartment here and stayed for several months. And I and I have to say like that that first part for me. Um, was one of the happiest of my life because just having this moment to kind of recalibrate and actually like sleep and feel caught up and not have it, not having the pull, the creative pull from all these different directions, I was really able to kind of get back in touch with my own like authentic creative instinct and like re really understand kind of what I wanted to do next. Um, and I also really just got into like, okay, what are we going to do with this time right now? Like, mm -hmm. as it became, became apparent that this wasn't going to be over in, in a month, um, 
you know, how can I, how can I be making things, but also, you know, how can I be of service? Like, how can I, how can I help the greater community? So uh, I developed this platform called Flatpak, spelled F-L-T-P-K. And, um, and that went on for pretty much the first year of the pandemic. And, and what it was, was a uh, crowdfunded digital platform um, for dance. And I was able to commission in quotes, choreographers all over the world to make these short dance films and really work on developing an audience that could give them some income during that time. And I think we had kind of a very um, innovative egalitarian model where just you know, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever the pot was that had been raised by whoever was in the audience that got divided up equally amongst the, the participants. And um, the, the timing of that in terms of like everything that we were looking at as a culture seemed seemed like a really great experiment to make happen. Um, So that ended up evolving then into what it is now, which is a free platform called treycool.com. And that is a curation of basically creative inspiration and different things, different things that can be accessed through the internet um, that I want to tell people about. And it's really just a place that's, I I say it's kind of informed and it's a search engine informed by serendipity. You know, you don't really go there to find a specific thing. You go there to be surprised and to, to find something new and and the hope, and this is the thing I really get off on is just, you know, finding creative people um, that, different audiences may not know about and to, to help introduce artists to not just, it's not necessarily just artists. Sometimes it's scientists. Sometimes it's just something happening in nature, but um, connecting people in new ways and, and giving access in ways they might not have had had before. So yeah, I've been working on that. And then starting in January, uh, hitting the ground and getting back in there and working with, working with um, lots and lots of different companies. I had premieres with, um, with uh, Nevada Ballet Theater and Ballet Memphis and did restaging. I've done restagings. Um, I just, I just came back from Oregon Ballet Theater where they did in dreams. And, um, and the, and then the other, like the kind of new thing that I'm working on is um in a, working in the educational capacity more frequently, um, it turns out I really love it. Um, you know, I like I like I like mentoring, and I like actually really like learning from the current generation because it's such a big paradigm shift. And and um, in the dance world, I think there's there's changes coming from the bottom. I don't say bottom in terms of status. I just mean bottom in terms of age bottom up about really new ways of working and really understanding why it's important for things things to change in the dance world from from the status quo and so that's been a really happy thing for me right so so when you're mentoring these younger dancers or choreographers does that do you ever like harken back to your days under ben stevenson does that remind you of that situation or did that inspire that at all like how how Um, are you relating to these younger artists well here's here I'll tell you what the connection, what the connection is that, you know, Ben really just gave me space, you know, he, this was, and that was the right thing for me, you know, Ben really provided opportunity and didn't, he didn't lord over me in terms of, um, you know, what I could end up doing. And I think that's, that for the most part is the right thing is giving people the the room um, to, to be the artists and the creative people that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the big things, especially in terms of working with choreographers or, yeah, no, yeah, I would say more choreographers is that like, you know, in, in becoming a choreographer and in creating choreography, you know, the opportunities are so, um, they're far between, even if they're frequent, you know, mm-hmm. it's just never enough. And so there's so much pressure that get 
that right away you just start thinking, okay, what's, what are people going to like? What's marketable about this? Right. And like, yeah, you know, that's, that's a fine thing to consider. And at some point should be, I wish it weren't in early development because yeah. I, think, right. I think, I think when young choreographers start thinking that way, it lends to this sameness, you know, and, and right. we, you know, we, if you look to the things that are proven, okay, well, we already have those things. And if there's room for me to encourage a young person to just take the time to truly develop their own unique voice and know that they have a perspective that no one else can get at and help to de right. develop and to, to refine that voice. I mean, how exciting, how exciting could that be to help someone have that kind of license and find that path? And, and the biggest part of that, and I don't care if it's a, a classical dancer, I don't care. I don't care if it's a, um, you know, a scientist, I don't care if it, the thing that stands in front of, and the thing that stands in our way almost always is our fear. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just giving a safe, safe space to try and to learn that the consequences probably are not what you imagine. <laughs> right. And then, and then uh, the, benef that. the benefits of taking risk and to being authentic are, are plentiful. You know, what's right. funny. We, Michael and I were talking about this recently because we were just seeing um, Miami city ballet and we saw this young dancer doing rubies. And the thing that stood out to me is I was like, man, she's not scared yet. You know, like she doesn't have that fear yet in a great way of just like, I'm out here to dance. I'm having fun. So I wonder, is that kind of something that you're finding in these young choreographers that you're working with that they have that like kind of just fearlessness, or is it different as a choreographer where you're like, there's so much thought process that goes into what's happening. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I, I do for sure. I, I think the the change is that there is um, a greater sense of self and it's okay for me to show up and try, you know, there's not mm -hmm. this kind of like, I've got to follow this path that everyone else, you know, or that I have to wait for someone to tell me that it's okay. Mm -hmm. That's what I think is really different. But I will say um, approaching things with fear, I think is a universal part of, of being a human being and, yeah, and right. getting, getting past that. And so in, in some ways, and I, this is like so cliche and boring to talk about, but like we, and we're in this culture of this outward facing culture and constantly getting approval through social media, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, <laughs> I think that's a big challenge for, for young people to, to circumvent totally. that and to know what, mm -hmm. a, what an authentic voice even is without having to check in with the world first. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned a little while ago about, about like how much you've seen the company evolve. And I'm just wondering what that experience is like for you come back and then gone away for a few years and then come back again. And like, how different is it from the first time you were there? And does it still feel like home or, or is it just like, it's, it's, you love it, but it's new and different. Um, well, you know, I, I think one constant, no matter where you go, is that just seeing how athletes, dancers, how that improve the level of possibility just grows and grows right. and grows mm -hmm. and grow. And just from what, you know, when I was a dancer in the company, you know, things that you would expect only a principal to do, you see apprentices doing that, doing that. Right. <laughs> oh my God. That's it. <laughs> and, so you know, and to see how like, you know, early on where I was really trying to push the bounds of what classical ballet can do. Gosh, now every dancer in the company has the facility to just let's try this, let's try this. And there's not right. there's not only just not the the mental hesitancy, but also like, no, it's in their bodies because they've worked with so many different choreographers and they're they're so incredibly versatile. So I would say that's a constant everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I really like seeing Houston over the years, I get to really see the progression of that. And it's interesting to see how certain things maintain. Um 
even though almost everybody in the organization is different. You know, there right. is there is this lineage that just continues through that has to do with it has to do with um, a, a, like a, a refined technique. You know, very great clarity in dancing that I still see. Um, great ability in storytelling that, you know, mm-hmm. the, the what is being conveyed seem, is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there's just this great joy of dance that I see in the dancers here that that has maintained this. For like, like in working in a piece like Pretty Things, I think in order for it to land, it's such a big thing that's being asked of them in a certain way, a very vulnerable thing. Um, and to do it with great authenticity is so incredibly charming to watch. Um, right. You know, it's, yeah. it's hard to say without going too deep into what the piece is, but. Well, we let's want, we want to, let's go deep. Let's, <laughs> okay. let's go back to the, to the <laughs> genesis of the piece, like, well, in its original incarnation, at least when, when did yeah. you um, first get this commission and start to, come up with ideas and what, what was that early process like? Gosh, I don't remember. I don't remember in terms of the sequence back, <laughs> back, you can back remember. then. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. But I, you know, I, it, it was the coinciding of um, something I had really been thinking about. And um, as I kind of go through the pop catalog, because I really enjoy working with, with contemporary pop music, um, David Bowie had been really interesting to me, but like not, I didn't think I was there yet in terms of understanding what what I could add. Um, so the conceptually, though, the thing I had really been thinking about was trying to reconcile this judgment I had about the inherent, really narcissism of being a performer. You know, mm-hmm. like I I I I saw it as something that needed to be overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, we like we will classify narcissism in its extreme form as a, as a mental illness. Right. But like <laughs> but like babies are narcissists, like we're born narcissists. Right. We think we're, we're the center of the world, um, you know. And so I really had to reconcile in terms of how I work with dancers. It's like, well, you know, that's not going to change. Like it turns out that's an inherent part of being a performer. And in right. fact, something that needs to be cultivated and just directed, you know, right. you know, put, put into the right channel. Like this, this feeling of needing to be the person valuable in this way enough to be seen in that way on stage, thousands of people, all eyes are on you. Um, you have to own that so fully in, in order to fulfill that for the audience. And I think the other side of that, what the audience gets from that is, we are playing out these archetypes on stage. You know, we're see, we're constantly mirroring any performer, a film, a song. We're seeing ourselves, mm-hmm. in. and so just like you know, from the origins of how we looked looked at and do look at the gods in mythology. You know, we're looking to find ourselves in that. And so, I think in dance in particular, um, we're we're looking at this perfection of human form, and we're seeing that perfection of human form that we have inside of us. You know, even though it, maybe it's a, you know maybe it's a conceptual thing, or that we're we're seeing our best selves play out on stage. Um, so you know, it was really about okay, how do I how do I lean into and, and fall in love with that characteristic um, mm-hmm. in in performers and be in harmony with it rather than in, in my own judgment. Mm-hmm. Right. So funny. This makes me think of a time what, at Miami City Ballet where there's some sort of official narcissism test and about a dozen of us took it. We were all in 90 plus percent. Yeah, of course. Like it's just <laughs> it's, it's just it, you're right. It's like an inherent part of it. And and like the way the questions are framed, it's not like I love myself or like I don't want to look in the mirror. It's just like very subtle. But like dancers, you're just 
design. Yeah. You you are the product, so you are sort of, and you're obsessed with with your art form generally, and so you're a little bit obsessed with yourself. You know, I mean, it's yes. true. Yeah, it's part of you know we're, we're drawn to these professions because we have that part of ourselves to still work out. I mean, it is, mm-hmm. it is in some ways a very young part, right? Like it's it's true that babies are total narcissists, right? And then you know over time we grow out of that. But you know, to be an artist is to be childlike. You know, it's yeah. to to be in that place of wonder, and so those things are associated. Taking care of your skin is an important part of your image, and yet so many don't invest in healthy skincare. Meet Menagee. Made in the USA, our products are proven problem solvers and are used by many dancers, as well as those who simply want to have healthy skin and look their very best, whether on stage or off. Formulated with natural botanicals and texture-improving ingredients, our professional-grade skincare and cosmetics are made to withstand hot stage lighting and yet feel and look natural on your skin. Simple to use, our liquid powder shine eliminator keeps skin 100% shine-free, minimizes the appearance of large pores, and delivers uber moisture. Our Urban Camouflage Vegan Stick Concealers cover topical imperfections like dark under-eye circles and skin discoloration and can be used for dramatic contour application too. Our HDPV Anti-Shine Press Powders deliver excellent natural-looking coverage to even out skin tone and keep you looking fabulous. Go to www.menskincare.com, that's menskincare with one S, and use code COD30 to receive 30% savings on all individual products. Your skin will thank you. So I've, I've noticed that like, you were talking a little bit in the past tense, like you were saying you saw dancers as narcissists or you were kind of seeing it in one way and maybe it's developed throughout this time. Have you kind of shifted the way you're looking at this whole story through the process of building it? And then how has it changed, if at all, then throughout this waiting time of like almost two years between uh, initial premiere and then actual premiere coming uh, at the end of this month? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I try to as much as I can um be vulnerable by not overthinking works. Mm-hmm. Um meaning I think when you overintellectualize it can be a way of controlling and I think if I allow myself to surprise myself, um something vulnerable will come out and exposing will come out in that way. And then I'll see the piece on stage and I'll absolutely um, this isn't this isn't me making something up. I'll be like, oh, of course, that's what that meant. That's what that meant. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't have the words. And I've even right. done that in the rehearsal a little bit. Like I was working on this duet, and and I was and I thought, you guys are really understanding something. What's the what's the story you're telling yourselves? I and and that. I said, you don't have to. You don't have to have words for it. And they didn't. They're like, I feel this way in this moment. This way in this moment. And seeing all that together, I could say, okay, this is the story of this padada. Um, it's very, it's very clear in that way. And so I think what's, what's changed is, um, the, the, you know, if, if narcissism on some level is a problem and I, you know, I think in daily life, when, if you're trying to relate to another human being, it is, you know, it's interpersonally that's difficult. Um, but I think being a performer is a way of working on that and, um, using it as a tool for growing and learning and helping other people and expressing that part and getting your narcissistic supply fulfilled by 2000 strangers in, you know, in the audience so that you might actually learn to come back around and, and be vulnerable and, and, and more reciprocal in your relationships afterwards. Right. So, so like the, I see it as just a process, a process that we can use for healing and, and being better people in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you, always like you had this concept or idea that you wanted to work out in 
a you know a creation a new creation but did you always want to work with Bowie's music and how did those two things come together why did you think that those were a good fit for one another working on this idea of narcissism and dance and then the music of David Bowie it was it was pretty immediate it was one of those moments where it thought like oh of course these two things um you know David Bowie is like a like a peacock you know his his not just his personality and his affect and the, you know the way he dressed um but the music has that you know it's real like rock star operatic music everything about it says look at me you know and, and um even though like you know some of these dancers don't know who david bowie is in the in the company it's definitely <laughs> we've reached that we've reached that point now they they hear it immediately and they can find they can find that quality um right away yeah. and um you know i'm not i'm not a lyrics person meaning i just i i heard there's actually like two kinds of brains one people one one brain hears melody one brain hears lyrics i can't listen so to lyrics i can't listen to lyrics either i <laughs> thank you and i never know the lyrics people always laugh at me i'm like making right, right. stuff up i'm just like yeah i'm listening to enjoy it that's funny i didn't realize that so and i saw there was a the other day there were subtitles on the tv and there was a song playing and it was so weird they, i could see the lyrics i'm like that's what oh that relates to what's happening in the story that's why they have that song there you know <laughs> so I the same experience here. That's so funny. <laughs> you know, oh but this is making me think though about what you were just saying like maybe as as dancers like because the story um isn't so isn't a, in a non-narrative work there's always a feeling or you know we might individually put a story onto the situation but it's not so literal but like because i'm thinking i'm probably the same as you two like i think i listen to like a vibe or like a feeling and then i've had that experience when you find out the lyrics and you're like wait this song is about a breakup but that's yeah. not what it meant to me <laughs> I didn't know. so you know that's i think funny. um that's funny it's interesting I, I would say even further when i was in la i studied voice a little bit and like and working with a vo vocal coach you know, so it helped me so much to really think about what was I was communicating, you know, so many things would just fall into place in that way. And, you know, even if you're not getting the exact story that the vocalist is communicating, you know that they're communicating something, you know, there's there's that feeling in that. And that's the thing that, that you right. that you pick up on. And so mm -hmm. but but I guess just to get back to what even I was even I don't even know exactly what I was getting at in the first place. <laughs> but there is if <laughs> I just go but if I if I go back and like really just study and look at the lyrics, there's so much content that actually in certain ways um, does feed the story, you know, like mm -hmm. the, the the struggles that are in some of the poetry and the, and the music um, does in, in fact relate. Yeah. So um, like you said, this ballet was on stage, it was ready to go. So what, had there been any changes since then? What was it like to get back in the studio with a ballet that has you've already created, which you've done before. You mentioned already you've done like restagings of your work, you've revisited work, but how is this different because it hadn't really been touched by an audience yet? Yeah. Um, so I took I, I took the unique opportunity of, of of basically getting to see something that I had already completed, but seeing it for the first time. So I didn't prepare. You know, I tried not to even look at my notes. I didn't watch any videos. Um, I just came in the first day and watched it. Um, and that was delightful because there were so many times I was like, oh, I it sounds terrible. <laughs> cool. I was like, who choreographed this? That was so cool. <laughs> 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 uh, so uh, it made me feel really proud, you know, right. in, in one way. Another thing I noticed was the things that sort of bothered me when I left it two years ago were the exact same things. I was like, oh, I remember. The difference was I immediately had solutions. 
you know, before, you know, you come to the end of the ballet and it's like your problem solving brain is exhausted by the end. And there'll just be some moments where it's like, I don't, I don't have an answer for that, but all those things that I, I had lots of creative new ideas. And so, and they're, they're minor tweaks. It's not, it's not big stuff. Um, You know, I would say the bigger thing is, you know, there's a lot of the company has changed, you know, there's new dancers in there. Oh, sure. Um, You know, some of them were, some of them had been there before for the process, but some are brand new to the company even. And so, um, not so much, not really in changing any step. It's more, you know, helping a new dancer find their voice and how do they authentically fulfill this idea, not just emulating what they saw in the video, um, the mm-hmm. person who did before, but finding that in, within themselves. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So there are 11 men in the cast of the ballet, which means you end up with multiple casts and understudies. You end up working with almost everyone in the company. Yeah. And it's making me think back to what you were saying about the evolution of technique. And I think especially men had, you know, have caught up a lot in the past 20, 30 years, you know, like male technique used to just be like, Oh, we're just happy. We got a a guy in the room and on stage, like, you know, the evolution of like balancing choreographing serenade where it's like, okay, well we can have one man on stage and that's (laughs) to like, you know, now you can do a ballet with, you know, a full cast of of men. So I'm curious to hear about like, what was your experience working with, particularly with the men of Houston Ballet and and seeing how far male technique has come since you first joined the company? Sure, a a couple things. Um, One thing that's really blowing me away is men as a core, you know, seeing core work that's this together and like, oh my God, all these men are making the same shape and they're in line and like, (laughs) you know, you know, women have way more experience in in core work. And so to see that level of excellence, oh gosh, it was really, I mean, there's a certain, there's a certain extent to which, okay, if I'm going to have a group of men, I must choreograph it to have rough edges, you know, that must be Mm. part of it, but not here. Yeah, that's that's really, and there's also just a vibe, like you know, uh, of just you know, room full of men. You know, it's it's a it's a unique experience, and I it's not I I, I'm like hesitant to describe it because it's not like it's one thing, um, but it's just different, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's certainly uh, I I don't know how to say this like it couldn't be more like disciplined and clear and like everybody on the same page like there's something about that that's been so inspiring like not Mm -hmm. not not one stray tangent of energy it's been so incredibly focused and communicative and um and very uh maybe this sounds weird but very vulnerable like Mm -hmm. there's been there's been great access to just emotional exploration um, in a way that's, it, it's not a difference, the wrong word, but it, it, well, no, it is different. It's not, I don't mean it like, it's not qualitative, better or worse. It's just been unique. Yeah. Right. It's, it must be so fun for them, right? There, I feel like there's so few ballets in that way that are just like men, you know, getting to do like the whole ballet, you know, there's so many w- like women focused core and, you know, like we're so used to doing that. So it must be really fun for them to have so much dancing in within a piece and, I'm sure they just are feeding off of that with you. They sure seem like it, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that, just that, that was one of the things on day one that was just so like lovely. It's just to see, just to see men just dancing, like with, mm-hmm. with pure joy and creativity and abandon and discovering along the way. Like mm-hmm. that was such a pleasure for me. Oh, mm-hmm. so fun. I'm curious. I mean, there was so much uncertainty in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, it feels likely that at some point there might've been uncertainty about whether or not the piece was ever going to make it to stage. Like what would that have been like as an artist to have something that just kind of 
existed in the moment but didn't find a literal audience or I don't know like would that is that still did that still feed you creatively or like what would that have felt like oh yeah. well you know I think as time went on that the the dread of it got to be more so like in the beginning it never crossed my mind that it wouldn't be performed and in fact right you know, the disappointment was more for the dancers when there was no show because the yeah. process is the thing I'm like, I love the process. Right. Um, yeah. It, you know, it's it's Sometimes I've, I've gotten over this more now, but it used to be that opening that would feel almost invasive. Like, oh my God, don't look. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's such a, it's such a personal thing, you know, that in, yeah. and sharing it with the audience is really like, ugh. I almost don't want to be there opening <laughs> night. I, I honestly, I'm only there for the dancers on opening night. Um, uh-huh. But then as time went on, I started to think like, oh gosh, I really, I really want to see this piece come to fruition. So if it, right. if it had never happened, I think in the long term, it would have felt terrible. It would have right. felt really <laughs> terrible. You know, yeah. thank goodness it's happening. This feels great right now. Oh, we're so excited. Yeah. I wish we could see it. Oh, I've seen some um, clips online though, and it looks <laughs> so awesome. Awesome. It looks yeah. like so much fun. Well, yeah. we got to get it on tour. Maybe let's bring yeah. it to city center. That's okay, bring- amazing. <laughs> I'll talk we just to decided that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I, okay, I yeah. decided because that's convenient to me. That's like 20 <laughs> blocks away from me. I can walk awesome. there. I'm curious, like um, what makes you tick about different pop music? You know, you, you've choreographed to other famous musicians in the past and, and um I don't know that I feel like that might be um daunting to some choreographers like if you have something that's as iconic as David uh, as David Bowie's catalog like uh, people already assign their own personal relationships to that music and you're putting something extra on top of that does, does that scare you ever um no not not <laughs> scared but, and I think it's because I I think it's because I the way I arrived at, at it, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's people, I think there's been a lot of assumption that, oh, you know, I, I want to appeal to audiences or, or something right. like that. I think that's true probably for, for dance companies. Um, I think that's a, a good reason, but for me, I really wanted to work with contemporary music always. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of, I, you know, it's, that's where I find the excellence is in contemporary music is in, is in pop music. Um, I've certainly worked with classical symphonies and I have, you know, where in the fall, Houston Ballet is doing Peter Pan and have this, you know, massive Elgar, Elgar work. So um, I think for me, uh, classical music allows, I find myself being more lazy with it just because it's can be so multi-layered and mm-hmm. you know i can follow the path of one instrument and there you go you have a roadmap for choreography mm-hmm. um it is an important value for me that with any piece of music that i have something unique to add and i'm not merely exploiting what is already there because sure. it, because it's already there mm-hmm. um and with pop music it's more difficult you know there you know there's it's not as layered and so that requires me to create layers. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's more interesting. You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to approach a David Bowie piece and make it about, okay, here's David Bowie and this is how he moved and this is how he dressed. And, um, you know, we, we individually have so many different associations with pop music and it usually has to do with where were you when the song was playing at a totally, certain yeah. time or, or what was the song that was running in your head when, you know, you were having this experience and, mm-hmm. and our, we culturally tend to load those songs up um, with our own experience and our own history. And so that's such, I mean, that's really, 
that's really fertile um, for for adding layers to. And so I think if I can if I can both provide my unique perspective into how I relate to these songs, but also leave space for an audience member to additionally interject their own experience and and through and I guess this is you know this through feeling that the music is accessible, feel that license um, because I think that's what we're you know we're constantly trying to do with audiences is help them not feel alienated by what we what we do and to really show that you absolutely can find yourself in this and it's not some secret code that you have to figure out that you know only the elite un- understand you know that it really is something accessible for everyone. So so I mean that kind of relationship with the work that that people are seeing is definitely a goal of mine. So. So I, I think even though that maybe using pop music wasn't the original intent for that, it's one of the benefits for sure. So let's right. say you get another commission coming up somewhere. doesn't matter. You know, imaginary company, artistic director says use pop music, but whatever you want, what would it be next? What would be like your next Gosh. artist to conquer? Let me think about that. Probably Lizzo. Amazing. <laughs> I had a feeling you were gonna say so good. Really? Like I yeah. did. <laughs> she's just she's just so amazing. And she showed up in one of my dreams too uh just recently. So she's talking to me. She wants to be <laughs> she's a trained flautist. Like I'm sure she would be she would love to have like a ballet made for her music. Is that, like, that true? Be... I didn't I didn't, know, I didn't that. know that either. You haven't seen her whip out her flute in the middle <laughs> of performing? No, no, it's it's hysterical, but like also so fun because you I, it makes you realize how often um, like certain things like a strong brass will just come into a pop song, like especially like of a certain era. Um, and so you're just like, oh, wow, like there are flutes in in pop music. But then like just to see her do that, it's so wild and hysterical. It's that really fun. Awesome. Um, okay, but I, I want to. I want to go on a, a different tangent for a second because I am a very big fan of your Peter Pan, and cool, I'm so you. glad it's coming back. So it'll be the first time that Peter Pan is hitting Houston stages in a decade, and I'm, I'm just wondering with a work like that, you know, obviously audiences have loved it; it sells houses out, you know, very easily. Um, but is that something that's like kind of set? Like, would you ever make a change for that? especially mm. since it has such a warm response like are you ever are you still um ever fiddling with your older works like that yes indeed and and uh, not just in choreography but also um in terms of just the stagecraft uh, of it as well and finding ways of moving it along but in fact for this um for this performance i'm making a big change um the redskin dance that uh, opens the beginning of act 2 is changing work i'm going to make something completely different uh, for right. it and starting from scratch and uh, you know originally when i made when i made it in well, i guess 2001 that's not possible i'm, I'm not old enough <laughs> when you were uh, four and a half <laughs> right that's right exactly <laughs> you know my my thought of dealing with how problematic the redskins were and and incidentally redskins are not the only problematic thing in this in the book of of, of peter pan but um you know it seemed to be important to the story um my thought was to move them from this being a a, a, a reference to being american indian um to be uh to be like basically inhabitants of this island whose skin was literally red that could camouflage and, and disappear um, into the space um right. and i like that originally i i would say for me it was my maybe my least favorite part still of, of the the, ba- the ballet mm-hmm. um and i also you know just with that it's true that even just the the name redskin is just like there's just not a it, just having that association i i 
I'd like to be free of that right. for sure. So uh, they're going to, it's going to be something new and they're going to, it's going to open with beasts, which was another, another group of, uh, of inhabitants of, of Neverland. So, uh, so I'm going to get to make a whole new section of it. I'm really excited to cool. do that new music, costumes, everything. So that's going to be neat. Oh, we're we're going to get you back then because yeah. I, I'm also awesome. like, I, I can't, I, I've also really been interested in um, like, since I first saw, I saw it probably 10 years ago when, you know, the artist formerly known as Pennsylvania Ballet did it. Um, and, <laughs> and I just remember like the score. This, that, that's what I really want to pick your brain about is the, the score, how you got all those pieces together to tell a story that were not written, obviously, for the story. So next time on Conversations on Dance with Trey <laughs> oh, I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, we'll get into sure. that for sure. So Trey, what's yeah. next for you after this world premiere at Houston Ballet? What is your next venture that you're off to? Um, so over the summer, I'm fo- focusing my efforts almost completely on uh, photographic projects and, cool. and deepening those. I'm working on, I'm, I've moved to medium format photography. And so I, I'm going to work on a gallery show, massive images, like big, yeah. like wow. uh, six by eight foot. Um, and these are all, maybe so, sort of on the same tangent a little bit. I'm working on these reinvented uh, male archetypes. So mm-hmm. taking like the the traditional, like, you know, the set, the set of cards that we we just, tend to define them, you know, the masculine uh, life experience and freeing men of what those expectations uh, are. And I'm staging them kind of like tarot cards where it's an image, a human image floating in, in a black surround with this really loaded symbology um, mm-hmm. that, that kind of explores what it means to be um, male um, in, in the current, in the current time. Uh, so I'm doing that. And then I come right back around to work on Peter Pan then in the fall. Oh, nice. Now, where is this going to be the gallery? Is it going to be in London? Uh, I have, um, so this is, this is the way I'm going to approach it. Cause it's not my world, right? Like, you know, photography has always been kind of like secondary to making choreography. Mm-hmm. And so I thought rather than like pitching a gallery and doing a show, I actually want to make the work first and then find mm-hmm. the right place for it and make sure it's the, the, the right fit. And just, right. and the, the protection with that is just making sure I'm not going into it again. Like we were talking about with choreography earlier, I don't want to go into it trying to fulfill some agenda. I want to make the work I want to make first and then see who wants it. Right. Cool. That's, That's so great. Mm-hmm. Well, for all of our listeners that are in the Houston area, Trey's work premieres next Friday, May 20th and runs to the 29th. So we would encourage everyone to go see it. Of course, if Rebecca and I were in the area, we would be there in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And then in the fall, I mean, everyone I'm sure is looking forward to Peter Pan. I know mm-hmm. I would love to see it again. So yeah. thank awesome. you, Trey, for joining us. Thanks. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.